Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. Welcome to everyone online. And in fact, uh, we didn't get a chance to do our traditional wave to everyone. So Isaac, if uh, we can set that up. If you guys would just turn to me real quick, let's welcome and say hi to everybody online. Uh, we never want to forget those who join us faithfully online. Uh, you are part of the church family, so welcome this morning. Welcome this morning. Shiloh, in her uh, prayer leading us into worship, uh, kind of spoke to uh, perhaps the heaviness of the week as we, uh, as a country, as a world, uh, continue to navigate these times. And uh, someone shared with me this morning, you know, sometimes people ask me, how long do you, how long do you plan, you know, preparation-wise, planning-wise for the sermons? And, and literally, it's all the way up until 10 o'clock, and sometimes even while I'm speaking to you, the Lord's speaking to me, you know, sometimes depending on how it goes on a Sunday, uh, I'll go home and my wife and I will be chatting, and I go, wow, about two-thirds of that was off script. And so um, I do my best to be listening, even as I'm talking to you at this moment. Uh, and this morning, as I came in to do the sound check, uh, I was shared with something, and uh, I, I just want to share it with you because I think it, it, it definitely goes in line with the last few weeks that we've been talking about confidence, trust, not just believing in God, but believing God. And this particular uh, excerpt is from a pastor uh, working in the underground church in Afghanistan. Real-time sharing. Uh, and uh, in the beginning of uh, his sharing, he speaks to uh, what the church is going through at this very moment and has gone through this past week. And as we were sitting uh, during worship and uh, I was reflecting on what was written you know, it really hit me that at this very second, there are brothers and sisters in Christ in hiding. Right now. And sometimes we need perspective in life. You know, uh, sometimes we may not feel like coming to church or feel like, you know, and and we get wrapped up in ourselves and, and, and kind of a woe is me mentality. And then I read this article, and at this very second, there are brothers and sisters in Afghanistan in hiding for fear of being discovered. There are pastors in hiding. And we're here gathered in Southern California Oh, hi, nothing wrong with air conditioned four walls, beautiful. We thank God for this. But sometimes we forget that we are part of the global church. And we forget brothers and sisters, not even in just Afghanistan, Haiti, other parts of the world, uh, where brothers and sisters in Christ literally would give anything to be in your seat. Right now. Right now. And so... Uh, what I'd like to do before I read uh, what this pastor of the underground church shared, uh, I would just literally like us to just stop. And if you're at home, just stop. And whether it's a heart for Haiti, whether it's a heart for Africa, whether it's a heart for our brothers and sisters at this very second in Afghanistan, wondering if they're going to make it through this day on this planet, uh, maybe we should just stop. And maybe we should literally pause this morning and ask God to forgive us if our heart hasn't been right. If we've sort of in this country, even as the church, been so consumed with consumerism and comfort that we see stuff on the news 
and we're just numb to it, literally just numb to it. We may shoot up a prayer here and there, but then we get on with our busy life, and we're, we're mad about someone cutting us off in traffic, or it's very hot outside, whatever. And, and again, I'm not railing on the comforts and the blessings we have here, but what I am pastorally, as I read this as a pastor, there's no difference. I don't view them in Haiti, Afghanistan. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just need to stop. We're just going to pause and we're just going to pray. We're just going to lift up the church. We're going to lift up the country. We're going to lift up this world. We're going to, whatever's on your life. Sometimes we just need to have honest prayer. And maybe the honest prayer is, Lord, all I can do is put my hands up and surrender to you. Maybe we need to just confess and ask God to forgive us if we've just been so consumed with self that we don't even stop to understand the impact. Not minimizing what's going on in your life, but not minimizing what's going on in my life, but it's perspective. And sometimes it's very healthy to have a very biblical, global perspective so that God can even speak to your heart about what you're going through. Okay? So we're just going to pause. At home, I encourage you, just pause best you can. Turn off all the distractions, and let's just, because we can through faith in Jesus, we can come to the throne of grace 24-7. So as the church here and online, we're just going to pause, and we're just going to pray. Father, this morning, collectively, we come into your presence. And specifically, we'd like to lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, many of whom are in hiding. At this very moment. Father, the last few weeks we've been speaking to confidence and trust, choosing to stay focused, choosing to believe, walking by faith. And so, Father, as only you can do, would you protect, would you lead, would you guide our brothers and sisters? And, Father, perhaps through these circumstances, Nationally, globally, even in our own lives, you are speaking to us once again. Do we believe what we say we believe? Do we trust you? Are we confident? 
Do we live each day in the confidence in who we are in Christ and all that you have given us in Christ? So, Father, this morning, we pray again for the church around the world, the church that uh, struggles to meet their daily needs, the church that is persecuted in ways we can not even fully appreciate in this country. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer. So, Father, again, we ask you to do what only you can do. We are confident only in you. Your will be done. You are a good God. You work all things for the good. So we pray this for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor of the Underground Church in Afghanistan writes this. For the first 300 years of the church, persecution was an expectation, not the exception, for every follower of Jesus. Afghanistan didn't suddenly become dangerous for Christians. It's always been dangerous. This crisis, however, has put a global spotlight on what has been the normal Christian experience for believers in Muslim nations. Yet the underground church continues to thrive. Even though the problems are dire and the outcome seems grim, we carry the unrivaled hope of the gospel that continues to prove what our enemies intend for evil will always work for our good and God's glory. Where governments, politics, and military efforts have failed, the kingdom of God will flourish and the gospel will advance. God does his greatest work in our darkest hour. Do you hear the confidence? Do you hear the absolute confidence and trust that this pastor is expressing? Right? And, and I, I read that, and I'm like, thank you, Father. As we have been working through uh, your word and and, and asking you to grow us, to, to really root us in confidence, in trust, and then real time, right? We talked about the Apostle Paul and Philippians being written out of joyful confidence, right? And then suddenly, today, we get a real-life, real-time message from a pastor of the underground church in Afghanistan who's doing the exact same thing, confidence, trust. God is in control. God works all things for the good. Right? And I read that, and, and, and as much as my heart is heavy for them, I'm also inspired by that. I get inspired by that. Because I don't know about you, but, but in my life, sometimes things happen, and, and your confidence gets shaken. You get shook. Right? And, and we need real-life examples sometimes to, to, to kind of get us up things and wake us up even. Maybe, maybe we need a, a loving sort of... You know, hey, 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 wake up. Wake up. Where are you focused? Where are you, what are you doing? Where, where's your mind? Where's your emotions? Right? And I love that. And again, it, it, it goes right into this series we've been on, on, on the confidence, trusting God, not just believing in God, but actually believing God. Because this, this pastor believes God. He's not listing a bunch of things he believes in. He's actually expressing truths that he actually believes. 
radical difference between saying you believe in something and actually believing it. And sometimes it takes extreme persecution or extreme circumstances in your life and my life. And you go through this, what they call a crisis of faith, where you kind of go, man, do I really believe this? And you might even have a season where you wonder if you believe it because you've never been pushed to that limit. You've never been pushed to the, to the not having anything in your bank, or you've never been pushed to hearing something from the doctor, or you've never been pushed to actually having to get out of the boat, as we talked about, right? And, and all the anxiety, and all the who, and all, the, all of this. You've never been pushed to that point where you're like, hey, do you really believe this? Do you really believe this? Right? And that's my heart, and my prayer for us is that, again, after today, you might have to go home, and you might have to just like really Chew on this for a while because you're going to hear a lot and you're going to get a lot of verses, but if you're going to get it from here to here, like we say, right, from your mind to your heart, connect the two, you know, you might have to go through some soul searching. You might have to go through some soul searching and you might have to call up somebody and say, hey, you know what? I know we've been at church together for 30 years, but I got to be honest with you, for 30 years, I don't know if I've really believed it. Well, what do you mean? Well, for 30 years, my life's been pretty good. And for 30 years, you know, I, I, I got, I've had a job and my health has been pretty good. And, you know, I got to come clean with you, brother and sister in Christ. Circumstances in the world, circumstances in my life, I'm so caught up with fear and anxiety that maybe I'm just like struggling with, do I really believe this? I really believe this. I'm willing to put myself on the line. Not necessarily death, but on the line where it feels like it. Right? Kind of like, how many of you remember the first time you went to an amusement park and you, you were like, I'm going on that roller coaster. Right? Never been on one. And, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then you get in like that hour plus long line. And it's like, more time than you need to think about doing this. And you're getting closer, and you're looking at it, right? And you're like, that goes by. Sometimes the line goes right by the track, and it goes whoosh. And you're like, okay, it's made of steel. That looks pretty sturdy, right? It's locked into the track, right? And you're getting closer and closer and closer. And I remember growing up having to deal with that. And then I remember you get to a certain point in the line, and there's the last chance gate. There's a you can back out of this gate, right? It's like right there, and you're like, and that's the moment. Because as soon as you pass that gate, you go into the lines to fill the cars, right? And you're like, oh, oh, right? And then you, okay, you pass it up, and then you're in the line. And then if you're not fortunate, you're sitting with the person who likes to front, the front. Let's go in the front. That'll be really fun. You're like, okay, let's go in the front, right? And, and by then, you know, and you, and, you, and, you, and you get in, and then, you, you know, you, you, or like this, and then at the first time in your roller coaster, how many of you check it 50,000 times after it's locked in? Okay, you sure this is going right? And then, and then even on the way up, you're still checking the thing, right? These moments in our life where we have good intentions, and we might even get in line, and then you're coming closer and closer to those moments of faith, action, not intention, action, putting up. 
and your heart's beating. And then you pass the gate. And you're like, oh, no backing out now. And then you're like locked in. And then you're getting, oh, here we go, right? Sometimes in our life, God allows these circumstances to get you to trust him. Just get to put all the churchy away, all the churchiness. And it's raw. And it's just you and him. And maybe he says, you know that friend, you, that brother and sister you've known for umpteen years? Maybe you've got to give them a call. And maybe instead of just socializing and catching up, maybe you have to have a real conversation as a brother and sister for the first time in 20 or 30 years. Not talk about the latest Bible study, not talk about, you know, current events. Maybe when you and that brother and sister go out and you say, hey, how are you doing? Instead of just saying, good, how about, the, how about them Dodgers? When Barry says, how you doing? You'll take a deep breath and you say, hey, bro, you know, we've known each other for quite a while. I got to share with you. I'm struggling because I don't know if I believe this stuff. And maybe for the first time in your relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a real conversation. A real conversation. Where you feel secure enough to invite someone in. Not to wave a finger, not even to give you more scriptures. But to say, okay, thank you. I'm going to listen and we're going to work through this together. And to just begin the process, not fix you. Right? Because a lot in the church, we have this church mentality sometimes where we're like microwave oven. Like we're supposed to pop you in the microwave, push the number one button, and a minute later, all is well. It's done. Or, you know, the, the sitcom mentality, right? So what's the sitcom mentality? Well, in 30 minutes, there's, there's the intro, there's a conflict, there's a blow-up. But in 30 minutes, isn't it amazing in 30 minutes how the, we've been taught that life gets fixed in 30 minutes? So we have this mentality in our life where we're microwave or we're sitcom and we just got to fix things. Well, I got to be honest with you, working through confidence and trust at the raw level, at the rubber meets the road level, that's not a 30-minute sitcom and that's not a microwave popcorn issue. That's a, I'm going to invite you and you and you and I'm going to really need to just be really bluntly honest because I've been pretty good at hiding it all these years, and you just begin the process, truly loving one another, truly bearing each other's burdens, truly encouraging one another, okay? And so today we're going to continue this process, and 1 Peter 1, 3 and 5 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter was writing to believers who were persecuted and going through extreme suffering. And he says, hey, you know what? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, this word hope, again, it's a challenging word for us in the United States because usually we associate the word hope with the lottery. I hope I win. I hope I don't get sick. I hope I get the job. 
It's wishful thinking, uncertainty, doubt. That is not a living hope. When he says he has been, we have been, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, biblical hope is confidence. Confident expectation. That is hope in the Bible. When I say I have hope, it means I have confidence. I am joyfully expecting it to happen. That is biblical hope. Okay, so if you have your Bibles and you're comfortable, you, I don't I want to say scratch out, but you may want to, in parentheses, put confidence. Because then it says, if you read it that way, it says, he has caused us to be born again to a living confidence. Now, that word living means energized, means lively. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, hey, wake up. Because here's the thing. Yeah, right, suddenly, wow, what, what, is it over? No, it's not, sorry. A living hope, energized, lively confidence. Is that you? Is that me every day? Do you, are you waking up? And I'm not talking being phony. I'm not talking being fake. I'm not talking like bouncing off the walls and being like goofy. I'm just saying, as a believer, he has called us to be energized with confidence. Energized that it's going to happen. But a lot of us has bought into this victim mentality, circumstance-driven mentality, feelings, and it's like, oh. Rather than a living hope, the church is like, oh, oh. And you know where we go for this? Dodger games. Why do you think the amusement industry, the entertainment industry is such a billion-dollar industry? Because people are so, uh, that they're willing to pay an arm and a leg for some life. For some life. I have been with Randy at Dodger games when it's been like an incredible home run. And, thing. and man, when there's thousands of people like, whoa, what do you feel? Alive. Alive. Because many of us, you're just making it through. You're in survival mode. You're like, uh, they call, are you surviving or thriving? A lot of people are just surviving. And then he comes and says, we've been born again to a living confidence. That's a wake-up call, church. That's a wake-up call. A living, lively, energized expectation every day that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Amen? That, that, that's got to get you up. You might have the same job. You might have the same finances. You might have the same trials and tribulations. None of the circumstances change except you choosing to have a living hope. Radically change your lens. Instead of just being a survivor, instead of just making it through, you are now engaged. You are proactive. You, through the Holy Spirit, are now driving the ship. Doesn't matter what the latest news is. Doesn't matter what the latest pronouncement is from the CDC or whoever. You have a living hope. You can engage. 
You can engage this with confidence, no matter what happens, right? This living hope. Alan Carr says this, our hope is a living hope that is sure, certain, and real, as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope the world offers. You see, many in our day are pinning their hopes on their 401k plan. Many have their hope in the stock market. Some have their hope in their health or their family. This is a hope based in wishful thinking. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. It means a confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. Amen? There should be a response. There should be a response to, to worship. When we worship, the, one of the definitions of worship is response, right? So when you're in the word, when you're in prayer, when you meditate on biblical truth, your life should just be a response. There really should be a response, okay? And so we're going to look at this uh, continuing through Romans 8, right? We saw uh, in Romans 8, 31 that we can be confident in the face of opposition. Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We saw that a couple weeks ago, right? Hey, you know what? As a believer, you're on the winning side. Doesn't matter who's against us. Nothing can thwart God's plan. Amen? Right? So confident in God's, in, in the face of opposition. Last week, confident in God's provision. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We saw that, right? Greater to the lesser. If God's already given you the greatest gift, Jesus, why aren't you confident that he's going to meet every other need in your life? He's already given you the greatest, right? First, Second Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He's already given it to you. We, tell, we spent a lot of time when we went through Ephesians. You're in Christ. You have everything you need, every spiritual blessing. He's already provided. So we have confidence in the face of opposition. We have confidence in God's provision, okay? Today, as we move forward in Romans 8, 33 uh, and 4, I kind of call it confidence in the face of accusation. Another way, you know, the title of the sermon is living confidence in God's legal declaration. But confidence in the face of accusation. And you know who our biggest accusers are? You're going to say the devil, right? Well, the Bible says he is an accuser. But you know who the the biggest accuser and finger pointer and critic and condemning voice can be? Who? Ourselves. So today, we're going to look at being confident in the face of accusation, even if that accuser happens to have our own voice. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Right? Romans 8. 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When it says bring any charge, that's accuse. Who shall accuse? Romans 12, 10, the devil is called the accuser. Okay? 1 Peter 5, 8. Remember from the Armor of God series. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We talked about how he schemes individually, right? He knows each person here. So when the devil schemes, it's unique. But one of the sort of probably universal unique schemes is to accuse. To get in your head. Cause you to doubt. Cause you to be insecure. You really saved? Because if they knew what you did this week, real Christian wouldn't have done that. Thought you got baptized. You still dealing with that issue? Accusation after accusation after accusation. And sometimes the enemy just has to get the ball rolling and then you take over. And, unfortunately, you might have others around you that actually are part of team accusation. Yeah, how could you? You know, growing up, the... They say that, unfortunately, maybe with the best of intentions, one of the ways that we try to motivate people to change behavior, shame. Shame. Guilt. Condemnation. Maybe you grew up in that environment, and maybe that's how your parents did it. Best, best of intentions. They tried to get you to walk the narrow road. But it wasn't a heart issue. You were just scared of being shamed and guilted, right? And so we carry this into, into our walk with Jesus, and in this sanctification process where we still struggle with the old man and putting off the old and putting on the new, right? Anybody here this week not get it 100% right? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you lied, so you just didn't get it right right now. <laughs> So join the club. What do you do when you don't get it right? Or let me use the biblical word. What do you do when you sin? What do you, right? Some of us will confess immediately, turn, ask God's forgiveness, receive God's forgiveness, and keep moving. Others of us, we go down the rabbit hole of accusation and guilt and shame. Right? And suddenly, it's not just that one issue where you blew it and now you're going another route, now you're losing confidence in your salvation. And if you lose confidence in your salvation, well, then it's kind of like a house of cards because, man, if I'm not even though I'm saved and God's promises don't apply to me and I've got probably kicked off the team, right? I think the tribe voted me off the island. You see, if, if we're not confident in, in our salvation, how, how is that impacting the rest of your walk? You're not even sure you're on Team Jesus anymore. You know? You're not part of the fam. Right? It can cause it, it can, can really, I think, if you're honest, and this is one of the things you have to chew on, if you're not fully confident and you're struggling, ask yourself, have you driven the stake in the ground and are you fully confident that you are saved? That's the starting point. You gotta know. Because if you know that you know that you know to the best of your ability in the faith of the word of God, not yourself, the what word, God's word says, well, then you can build on all the other promises of God because now they apply to you confidently. But if you're not confident that you're in the fam 
Well, how can you be confident that all the promises apply to you? That might be what's going on. Oh, I said a prayer. Oh, I, I went forward somewhere. I think that counts. Does that count? Filling out a form, does that count? Right? So sometimes, because I've been in ministry for a long time, and people in the church, if you get to know them and you get to know their story, after a while, it becomes pretty clear they're not confident in their salvation. And it's affecting a lot. Because if you're not confident in your salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, you know what you can slide into? Works. Now you're doing again. Now you're trying to earn it again. And it's not, it's not that you disagree that you're saved by grace. What's driving the works in your life and serving in the church and all this stuff is that you're not sure. So you're going to make sure. And, and the works are your ace in your pocket. Just in case you get to the pearly gates and they don't open. Oh, wait, I got the works card. Let me try that in the slot. Still didn't work. See, even in the church, a lot of us are uptight and we're bound and we don't have joy and we don't have living hope because we never settled the issue that we are saved. You don't have the living hope. You don't have a living hope because you're not confident. You're kind of a little, ah, am I? Am I not? Am I? And in fact, let me help you a little bit. How should I do this? Okay, we're going to do it in two steps. How many here believe as you sit here, and if you're at home and wherever you're going to listen to us, how many here, if you would like to raise your hands, believe that as you sit here at this very moment, your name is written in the book of life? We're not going to ask, we're not going to answer this. I just want you to think about this. What's your confidence? What are you hanging that hat on? Because it matters. You got to settle. Like, it's one thing to say, my name is written in the book of life. The real pastoral, like, honest question between pastor and friend and brother is like, how do you know? What, did you, what are you basing that on? What is your confidence? What are you fully resting on like you are that chair right now, right? What are you fully putting your weight on for your eternal salvation through faith in Jesus? Where are you getting that? Where are you banking on it? You got to sell that. And if many of you are saying, can I, can I use yours? Since mine's digital, it's kind of weird when I do that. If many of you are saying, well, it's the word of God, okay, perhaps you're still a little bit um, shaky because you still need to study why you believe this is the word of God and truth. See, you, you, many of you, like, you know what it says, John 3.16, Romans 5.8, things you hear all the time, and you go, yes, amen. But maybe one of the nine things deep down is like, but, but is it really God's word? Is it just one of many religious books that I could pick up on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles? Is this really God's word? Is it really true? How can I base my eternity on this? That might really be what's going on. Is you haven't taken the time to drive this stake in the ground about this. 
I'm going to lose your page, about this. You grew up in VBS, you sang the songs, you got the memory verses, Romans Road, but maybe in your walk, you're never allowed to question. Because if you did, no, 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 we don't do that here. At the well, this is the Bible, you're not allowed to question it. See, many of you know my upbringing, and yeah, I came through one year of law school before I was called to ministry, so yeah, believe me, I went through friends who had shared this with me and opened it out of love and concern and all this, but I, I heard it, and I understood, and I understand the plan of salvation, and I understood Jesus, I understood what this said, but I had to go one step deeper. Can I trust this? Can I study this? What is the evidence for this being what it says it is? Okay? To a reasonable, to a reasonable standard. We're never going to know everything. You've got to put that out of here. That's not, not even possible. But to a reasonable standard, have you ever studied this to the place where you're willing to make eternal slash daily life choices based on this? Part of your struggle might be that you're just not confident in this. Okay? So I'm going to encourage you. Maybe find a study buddy. Work through it together. It's real. It's real. Because here at the well, in our statement of faith, it all begins. We rise and fall here with Scripture. You come to the well, we're going to open God's Word, and we're going to preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. We got nothing else. Different guys come up here, and they'll have different personalities, and they'll come present it in different ways. But in the end, it goes back to the Bible being the inerrant, infallible Word of God, the truth, period. Now, I have had to settle that issue in my own sanctification before I became a pastor. I had to settle that issue. You have to settle that issue. You at home have to settle that issue. Because when you leave here and the rubber meets the road and you decide you have to pick this or this, if you're basing it on how you feel, you've already gone off track. Anyone who comes to me, when, you, when people come to me for counseling and ask me questions, my first thing is, well, what is the word? Let's go to the word. Let's look at what God's word says about that. Let's figure this out biblically, scripturally. Okay, sometimes it's pretty clear. Sometimes we've got to look at a whole bunch of scriptures, and sometimes it takes time to work through it. But the bottom line is that for me personally, I've driven the stake in the ground. My eternal destiny as a human being on this planet is that I have come to the place of conviction that that is what it claims to be, the inerrant, infallible word of God, the truth, which speaks to how we get an eternal salvation relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone. I've settled that issue for me. Okay, that's probably why I'm on this side of the thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You all have to settle that issue. It's a confidence issue. Because I have had many times in my life when I had to have to make decisions that were unpopular and caused pain and challenge and made my heart beat solely on what the Word of God said. I had to just walk by faith just on the basis of, of what that book said. I was all in. It's like an all in moment with Scripture. And then you go from there. See, if, you, if you're basing your faith on Jesus as Lord and Savior, where is that coming from? Scripture. It's not my opinion. It's not anyone. It's, it's what the Bible says. Okay? So maybe that's it. Maybe your confidence goes back to salvation. 
but maybe your confidence is one layer deeper in like the Bible saying the route of salvation and how to be saved. Maybe you got to camp there. Maybe that's what's rocking your boat, okay? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. It says in Romans 8.33, go ahead, uh, who's back there, Jordan? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Okay, so who's going to bring an accusation against God's children, against the believers? It says, it is God who justifies. Now, over the years as a pastor, as we've talked, sometimes we go into this series on the attributes of God. I've done it with youth when I was a youth pastor. I've done it with men's groups. And usually what I'll say on the very first session is, hey, I'm going to give you a piece of paper. Give them a piece of paper, blank paper. I say, draw a picture of God. We're about to talk about who God is and his attributes. And I say, hey, just, I'm just curious. Don't worry about your artwork. Don't worry about being right around. Just draw your picture of what you, when I say the word God, just draw something. And you know what happens, quite honestly? People will give me, they'll end up sharing a drawing of a courtroom with God as a judge, and usually there's lightning bolts. So this, this, they see this picture as God is judge in a very negative, fear-mongering, angry, ready-to-punish-you picture, right? Well, what if God being a judge, the ultimate judge, is actually pretty darn good? Because that's what this says. You should want God to be the ultimate judge, Amen. According to this verse, it's not a scary, frightful, necessary God ready to throw lightning bolts. This verse says, Romans 8.33, Jordan, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know what that means? He is the supreme judge. Only he justifies people. Him. It is the world's best news in one sense that God is the judge. Because quite honestly, if some of you were the judge, there would be a whole lot of people in trouble. Thank you. If it was left up to you to judge this planet and all the people on this planet, yeah, there's a whole lot of people going down the chute. I praise God that God is the judge, period. Amen? Now, why is that good news? Why? Because it says here, it is God who justifies, Right? That word justification, it's a once and for all legal declaration by the judge of judges that because you put your faith in Jesus, you are not guilty, fully righteous. Legal declaration from the judge of judge. The only judge that matters for all eternity. When you put your faith in Jesus, there is a judgment, immediate judgment. And that judgment from the judge of judges says, not guilty, fully righteous. That's the only judgment that matters. When it says, who, should bring a, who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. It's God who justifies. Why? Because he's the judge of judges. And when you put your faith in Jesus, legal declaration, once and for all, not guilty, fully righteous, put his name in the book. That's why it matters that God is the judge. 
I, I, I had that this week. I'm like, oh my gosh. I love the fact that God is the judge. Because nothing can change his verdict. Nothing can change his verdict. A legal verdict has been made. If you put your faith in Jesus, a legal verdict of not guilty, fully righteous. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I strongly encourage you to take that and make that right. Okay? It's once and for all. So, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Barry, judge of judge, says not guilty, fully righteous. Write his name in the book. Romans 5.1 says, you have peace with God. Whatever happens before you put your head down on the pillow this evening, even if in our human mind it's worst case that your time on this planet is done, you have confidence that you have peace with God. Amen, brother? You, that's that living hope. That's the beginning of the living hope, right? Titus 3.7, because of his grace, he made us right. Okay, that's the judgment. He made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. I love that. I'm so glad that God is the judge, the only judge that matters. And I'm so glad that when I settled the issues that needed to be issued, that there was a legal declaration made for me that I'm not guilty, fully righteous, named up and written in the book. Why? Because the judge said so. And here's the crazy thing. The judge is my father. The judge now becomes your father. And you're part of the judge's family. <laughs> you want to be mind-blown, just chew on that for a week. Right? And then there's no condemnation. There's no more any condemnation. Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding. To condemn is to pronounce judgment, punishment. So there is no condemnation because you've already been declared not guilty, fully righteous. Who is to condemn? So all those condemning voices in your head, put them off. There is no condemnation. Jesus took that. That's why he went to the cross, right? Ray Pritchard says this, because on the cross, when Jesus hung there, he condemned sin. What that means is this. You can never be condemned as a believer for your sin. God condemned the very thing that Satan would like to use to condemn you. Let me say that again. It's not complicated. You can never be condemned for your sin because God condemned the very thing that could condemn you. That is your sin. The price was paid 2,000 years ago. There is no condemnation for believers because God condemned sin in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is amazing. You see, when you put your faith in Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he also takes away your condemnation. That's the confidence and the joy. And you don't have to walk around shamed and guilty and wondering if the punishment's still going to come and a lightning bolt's still going to come at you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus took care of that whole issue at the cross. Amen? This is all part of the living hope. You got to get these basics down. 
a lot of believers never take the time to get these basics down and how does it actually work. Judgment. You, you never, it all fits beautifully. Like, it's there. But we, we don't take the time. We don't take the time. And then it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised the resurrection. Now, I want to encourage you, every Easter, you hear me talk about the resurrection. Okay? And you hear me say every Easter, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, if the resurrection did not happen, go home. You're wasting your time. You hear me say that every Easter. If the resurrection didn't happen on the timeline of a historical event in the earth's timeline, you and I are fools for being here. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You know what that means? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're wasting our time here, folks. In fact, we're to be pitied. They should laugh at us. Because we're a bunch of idiot morons. That's what, that, that's what this means. You're wasting your time. Go home, watch golf, watch the Dodgers, go shopping, go to the farmer's market. Don't be here. Do not come here and do not turn on the live stream if Jesus did not rise from the dead. You know why? Because I won't be here, and I'm guessing the other elders won't be here, if the resurrection didn't happen. Okay? That's just, that's, this is the Bible saying this. It's not pie-in-the-sky mythology, goody, wishful thinking, hey, Christians, bury your head in the ground, just believe it, and it's true. No. This is saying, in Earth's timeline, if the resurrection did not happen as a historical event, you're still in your sin. It had to have happened for Christianity to be legit. Okay? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Amen? All right? I shared this with you before. If you have questions, go back and look at the Easter. Resurrection is the greatest feat in history from the Christian Research Institute. Fatal torment, he really died. Empty tomb, the tomb was really empty. Appearances, he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. Transformed lives. Right? You can go back. We go in depth about that. I just want to share. Some of you, your confidence right now, Maybe you're still struggling with this resurrection thing. Seriously struggling with it, if you're honest. Did that really happen? Well, it didn't really have to happen. Let's just believe. Let's just, I'm serious. I struggled with it too. Not as a, you got to believe this because it's really good for you. It's like, you need, to, you need to settle the issue if this was history or not. Like World War II, like any other historical event. Some of you might be struggling in your faith because you have not settled the issue about the resurrection as a historical event. It either did or it didn't. There is no middle ground. Okay, there is no middle ground. You got to settle that issue. Josh McDowell, a believer in Jesus Christ today, can have the complete confidence, as did those first Christians, that his faith is based not on myth or legend, but on the solid historical fact of the empty tomb. Have you taken the time to settle the issue for yourself? Maybe that's why your confidence is lacking. 
Okay? Romans 4.23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and this, you've heard me share this before around Easter, and raised for our justification. So this links the resurrection and justification, that judgment, right? So it says, you know, if you've ever, how many have ever heard someone say, hey, Jesus paid the price you could never pay, You're right? Jesus paid something for you. The question is, well, how do I know the payment was accepted? How do you know it was good? The resurrection, that's what this means. Raised for our justification. And you hear me say this all the time. Uh, go to a credit card. How many of you are going to go to lunch? You're going to pay with the credit card. You put it in the machine where it says, please do not remove card. And then hopefully, what does it say after please do not remove card? Payment accepted. Payment approved. Please remove card, right? I've shared this with before. Ever since I studied this and for years I shared that, every time, I, every time I'm at Ross, I'm at Jim and Rob's, I'm wherever I am, it goes in and I'm like waiting, waiting. And it says payment approved. I'm like, Jesus. When it says payment approved, it in my mind reminds me that the resurrection, the payment was approved. That's the connection. And I'm serious. Every time I go anywhere and it says payment approved, I'm like, whoo. And then I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> you like wonder. That's what it is. Every time you pull the card and it says payment approved, think of the resurrection. That's, that's what the resurrection means. That's why it had to happen. That's why you can be confident that the judgment stands because of the resurrection. It's all linked together. It's all linked together, right? And then look at this. Uh, Jordan, put up Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Now catch this. Who indeed is interceding for us. Okay, who's interceding? Who's doing the interceding? For who? Me. When was the last time you chewed on that? That Jesus right now is interceding for you. Now, I get that. It's right there. I believe it. But man, oh man, I am still personally in my walk trying to fathom the, the, the significance that Jesus Christ goes to the Father on my behalf. Jesus is interceding for you as a believer personally. Is that crazy? He is interceding. Like, you know, we make a big deal in the, oh, we have a prayer ministry. Let's intercede for, let's pray for others. Well, that verse says somebody is interceding for you right now. And his name is Jesus. For your needs. For what's going on in your life. You don't just have, you don't just have brothers and sisters on this planet interceding. You've got Jesus interceding for you. You got Jesus, right? Hebrews 7, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. <laughs> what? That verse says Jesus lives to intercede for you personally, for me personally. Jesus himself interceding for little old you in Ojai. I don't know, that gives me some living hope and confidence and joy. I'm not alone. Jesus himself intercedes. And then, here's the crazy thing. A while back, 
this morning, I said, how many of you didn't get it just right this week? How many of you sinned this week, right? Well, as a believer, what do you do when you sin, right? You confess it. We're to confess it, admit it, right? But did you know Jesus does something for you when you sin? Look what he says in 1 John. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate is a courtroom, a defense attorney, someone who comes by your side. Now, this is not sinning, like willful sinning, I'm going to do what I want to do, then I'm going to come and ask. No, this is not sin as a lifestyle. This is when you and I, in our sanctification, sin, as, you know, we might, right? And we come before God and we confess it. Jesus is our defense attorney advocating for us to the judge of judge. Is that crazy? I mean... He's interceding, and then when you and I blow it, instead of beating ourselves up, Jesus says, uh, yeah, by the way, judge, I'm their advocate. They're, they're, yeah, not guilty, fully righteous. He, Barry has his faith in me. He's good. How many of you are thrilled that Jesus comes to your defense when you sin? Come on. Come on. But what does the devil want to do? Send you down the rabbit hole of accusation, condemnation, and shame. All because you forget that your defense attorney, Jesus, is ready to advocate for you. See, I, I love it. It's like Dr. Wayne Barber says this. Every time we sin and then properly confess that sin, he stands there and speaks on our behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to confess even that much more. Knowing I have someone who's going to speak on my behalf, someone who knows that his blood has covered all my sin, whether it be past, present, or future. This implies something very important. He knows my motive when I confess. We need to understand this. He is the righteous one. He is the one who stands along beside us. He is the one who speaks on our behalf. But he knows when we half-heartedly confess anything before the Father. So to reap the benefit of confession, we have to make sure we understand who is examining our hearts when we confess that sin before a holy God. You sin according to God's word, right? you do something. Confession is to agree. The word confess is to agree. Lord, when I confess, I'm saying, I confess, Lord, I agree that what I did according to your word is sin. You call it sin, I'm calling it sin. I'm not going to candy coat it, it's sin. Lord, I'm turning from it. I don't want it anymore. I'm turning from it. That's called repentance. When you confess and you turn, the Bible says you're forgiven. Now we know that when I confess and turn, Jesus is right there. He's my advocate. He's in the courtroom saying, Father, he's good. He's still good. He had that moment, yeah. He had a King David moment and he had a sanctification moment, Father, but he's, he's, he's good. I defend him. I'm, I'm speaking to you on, on behalf of Barry. He's confessing. He's repentant. Man, it's crazy. William MacDonald, when Satan brings some accusation against a believer, 
the Lord Jesus can point to his finished work on Calvary and say, charge that to my account. Again, this isn't an excuse to sin, not at all. What it is is freedom from accusation, guilt, shame, and condemnation when you do so that you can keep pressing forward in God's grace and in humility and in dependence, not shackled by guilt and condemnation anymore. Okay? That's where the enemy wants to keep you. So then we circle all the way back around. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen? This living hope, it's not what if, it's what is. It's not positive thinking, it's a positive declaration. You got to get this. A living hope is what is, a living hope is a positive declaration from the judge of judge, not guilty, fully righteous. And when you and I happen to sin, we have an advocate. And when you and I are going through things in our life, Jesus himself is interceding, is praying on our behalf to the Father. <laughs> right? How he balances all of us at the same time to give full attention to you and full attention to you and full attention to you, I don't know. That's beyond this little peanut brain. But when it says God is all-powerful and all-present, thank you for saying this, sometimes we think that means, oh, 1%, 0.8%, 6%. We think he divides up himself. No. When it says God is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, it means you have 100% of his undivided attention, and you have 100% of his undivided attention, and you have 100% of his undivided, all at the same time. I don't know how that works, but I'm sure glad it works that way. And Jesus himself is interceding all the time. And when we blow it, he's advocating. I love that. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you. That in Jesus, we have living hope. We have living confidence. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a bunch of what ifs. It is the supernatural truth of what is. Faith in Jesus, being born again into your family, a legal declaration that we are not guilty, fully righteous by you, the judge of judges. It's confidence that Jesus, you're interceding. It's confidence that when we sin, you are our advocate and we can be forgiven. And so as we prepare for communion, I simply again, Father, this is a lot. I know it. So as only you can do through your spirit to everyone here and everyone online, would you speak to our hearts? Maybe you have revealed areas of a lack of confidence that we need to really be proactive and intentional and take action for study, for sharing, for prayer. Maybe there are just some core doctrinal things we need to get settled. 
And maybe there's some here in this room or online that need to settle the issue of faith. Putting your faith in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. If that's you, I encourage you in this time of reflection, prayer, to speak to God, the judge, and express in the best way you know how that you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You are believing that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, rose from the dead, that his payment was accepted through the resurrection. Can't earn it. It's grace. It's to be received by faith. And maybe you're a believer here and this time of com- confession, this time of communion is a time of confession where you will confess that you are maybe not as confident in your salvation. Maybe you're not confident in whatever it might be. Just confess that to God. And ask Him to begin the process of building up that confidence that's needed.